0: Welcome to The Working Mama Podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hello, mama. Welcome back to another episode of The Working Mama Podcast. I hope you're going well. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Renee White. She is an all-round amazing human, She's got a Doctor of Philosophy focused in biochemistry and molecular biology from Monash University. She's also a patent law attorney and also the co-founder of Fill Your Cup, which is providing evidence-based care as a postpartum nurturer. And she is just got so much knowledge and experience and also passion about supporting women in the postpartum period if you've listened to this podcast for a little while I'll often say you know if, when you're planning a maternity leave it's you know really good to plan your return before you go on leave but also when you're pregnant it's really good to actually think about that postpartum period so if you are pregnant listening to this this is going to be an awesome episode for you really to enjoy but also just even we talk about some of the challenges that we have as working mums and also some of the you know society conditioning and also just those overcoming misconceptions around postpartum and also preparing for that fourth trimester so hope you really enjoy it it's a little bit different to some of the other working mama topics but look have fun as always i would really appreciate if you'd be able to subscribe and tell a fellow working mama about this podcast and this episode is brought to you by the membership the Working Mama Village. So let's get into it. Welcome Renee.
1: Welcome to The Working Mama Podcast. How's your day going so far? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Karina. The sun is shining here in Hobart, but it is so cold. Like I have my mittens here at the desk with me. And she I have does. Heater, I have a heater next to me cranking, but yes, I am having a fabulous Friday. Nothing better than having a chat with you on a Friday. Oh,
0: can't wait! Can't <laughs> wait. So, Renee and I have actually met through a program called Hack Your PR with Adept Barry. And yeah, if you're interested in PR, highly recommend it. And, but also, Renee and I have actually had and bonded over our probably our passion for supporting mothers and particularly working mothers. So I know a little bit about you. You're you're an absolute superstar, but <laughs> let's just get into it. How would you best describe yourself?
1: Oof, A type personality, uh, always learning. I would say, which some people translate that into high achiever. <laughs> a friend of <laughs> mine texted me that the other day because I seem to just jump from one project to the next. And I struggle to take a breath sometimes, but I'm learning. I'm learning (laughs) to take a breath. I'm a mum. I'm a wife. I'm probably a high anxiety person and I love to plan. I am a planner. That is what I do. So I think Put all of those together. And that is essentially what I do for my job.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So what
1: has been your career journey to date? I I have never had a very linear career journey. It's funny that you ask that, Karina, because I used to do career seminars when I was just coming out of science, going into industry. So I started always with an obsession with science, loved experiments. I was that kid using all of my mom and dad's vinegar and bicarb soda in the kitchen, making volcanoes and things like that. So I did a science degree, not really knowing what I wanted to specialize in at the time, but I loved the fact that it was so broad. I just kind of tried a whole bunch of different things, stumbled upon a subject called biochemistry because I literally had to fill a gap in my schedule. And I remember turning up to my first lecture and the guy who was the lecturer, Professor Robert Pike, he showed a 3D diagram video of this particular molecule and it's called a molecular mouse trap, And he showed it attacking another protein. And it was just I know this sounds so nerdy. It was so beautiful. Like I was like, oh, my God, I have found my place. So fast forward, did my science degree, did a major in biochemistry and immunology, again, obsessed with lab work, you know, experiments and things like that. Did an honours degree, PhD. I love learning. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) And so that was mostly on like immune kind of biochemistry stuff. So proteins found in your blood. And then I kind of was at, that was at Monash University. And I was like, man, I've been here for a really long time. I'm part of the furniture. I need to kind of, you know, broaden my horizons. So I stepped out and did a postdoc at the Burnett Institute in, in Melbourne. I was working on HIV Which was very cool. Like, think Dustin Hoffman in outbreak kind of suits, you know, PC4 facilities and things like that. And at the time, we were working with a big pharma company on a drug treating people with HIV. And as most people know, funding for science is not great here in Australia. And so I thought, oh, maybe we should ask Big Pharma for some cash. They seem to have a (laughs) lot of it. And so, you know, talking to the business development person at the Institute, she was like, yeah, okay, well, you're going to have to put a pitch together. And so she helped me do that. And within that process, there was a lot of work around intellectual property or IP, and I found myself um more passionate and spending more time on this pitch than in the lab. And I was kind of tuning into that thinking, hmm, okay, there's something here, you know, like, I think I want to explore this. And so what ended up happening was I chased that. I chased the rabbit down the hole (laughs) (laughs) and I became what's called a patent attorney. So someone who joins a law firm, you do a master's in intellectual property law. And essentially what that person is, is they have to have like a science or engineering kind of background to understand the science. So it would be, you know, let's say someone in a lab discovers, you know, the next cure for cancer. As a patent attorney, I would go and speak to the scientists. They would tell me all about the discovery and we would then draft what's called a patent specification. And so that details the entire discovery in a huge document. Like they're like, you know, could be anywhere between 100 to 300 pages. And so by documenting that and publishing that, the scientist gets a monopoly for 20 years on it. So it's kind of this the law behind drug discovery, treatments, diagnostics, all of that kind of stuff. So I did that for eight years. And in that time I had my daughter, which, you know, I I don't need to say this. But we God, don't need to yeah. that is just a life-changing experience <laughs> in ways Katrina. that you never predict. <laughs> You know, up until that stage, you you kind of think to yourself, oh wow, you know, I've worked really hard. These are what you know, this is a really hard job. And then you get to motherhood and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, me. Well, like, walk was a piece of cake compared to motherhood. I know. I was like, I'll go, I'll go and do some more exams. Like this is so, so hard. And there's no previous study that you couldn't do your master's or a doctorate before no. you become a mum. There is nothing, there is nothing in a book that like can give you the A to Zs on how to pass the exam of motherhood, which is good and bad because, you know, for someone like myself, who, as I said, is an A type personality, I was used to routine, scheduling, you know, time for myself, being able to put those boundaries around and be like, okay, well, this is what I want to do today. So that's what I'm going to do today. And, you know, thinking that that's how my life was rolling. And then motherhood, like, is just a big slap in the face. (laughs) So needless to say, that was really tough. Had 12 months off, mat leave, came back in the partner attorney role. And then two years later, the pandemic hit, which just is another catastrophic event in everyone's life. I was in Melbourne, so... I don't need to say anything more about that. No, (laughs) But, you know, I was in Melbourne working from home, still exhausted having a toddler. She was three at the time. And I just got to a point where I was like, oh man, I just can't do this anymore. You know, like, I can't balance everything that I want to balance. I'm dropping the balls and everything is shattering around me and I need to just take some time to kind of stop. But I think like a lot of couples, you know, we deliberated over, you know, that COVID lockdown thing. Are we going to get a divorce? Are we going to have a COVID baby or am I just going to learn how to bake sourdough? Like, (laughs) what are we doing here? And we contemplated all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very Melbourne of you. <laughs> yeah. But I, we, we deliberated a lot, very robustly, about having a second child. And we decided that it was not in our best interest to do that for a number of reasons. I had a really rough postpartum, didn't have a village around me, closest kind of family was 90 minutes away, not a lot of friends close by, moved to a new suburb when I was 32 weeks pregnant. So I knew no one. I didn't know like, you know, what were the good cafes? Where do you go for a walk? Like nothing, full clean slate. And again, that kind of A type personality kicks in and everything just, you know, turns to shit because you're like, okay, there goes my routine and Oh, oh my God, are we really doing this like sleep feeding and like that's on repeat? Like is this my life now? 24-7, yep. yeah, yeah. I can't get a moment to myself. I know. And like I honestly thought, like I was, it, I, I find it ironic that I'm such a planner and such a researcher, like that is in my DNA, but I, for whatever reason it was, maybe it was fear. I'm not sure, but I didn't plan for the postpartum period. Like I just had no idea. I thought that you would just lean into this like motherly intuition thing that everyone told But no told one you prepares that. you for it either. No. Like you go to,
0: oh, I remember I going to the angry. prenatal classes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am actually because I went to the prenatal classes and it was two lots. So my husband and I went. The first like two hours of the four hours is about the different stages of labour. Yeah, And I was like, seriously? And then I, at the time, had a breached baby and I then said, what happens? They're like, oh, that happens. We discuss that next week. And then I'm like, (laughs) and I then said, what about induction or cesarean? And she looked at me as though I was, you know, I was some other person. I was an alien for even asking that question. But it was all about birth. And I'm like, the birth lasts for like, for me, I was induced. So essentially it lasted, you know, a bit over a day and a half because of induction and stuff. But I was not at all prepared for what it's like. And my first was in the nursery then for eight days. Mm. So no one actually ever even just marginally talks about what it's like to have a baby in the nursery and the emotional toll of leaving the hospital without a baby.
1: Yeah. The first time. Yeah. And
0: when I got home, it was like, what the heck? I remember my husband, I was given the advice from a, a colleague at work. He and his wife had moved town and they looked at each other going, what the F? do we do now?
1: Like, yes, yes, absolutely. Like I think those birthing classes, I was, I was very angry (laughs) about those birthing classes, about society, all, everyone around me. I was like, how dare you? I was like, (laughs) are you all laughing at home? Because I am suffering so much. And I was just like, why hasn't anyone told me how hard this actually is? And, you know, I think at best, I think I walked out of that birthing class going, oh, excellent. I know how to wrap my kid like a burrito. Like, oh, and newsflash, not all kids like to be wrapped like a burrito. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) My child, you know? So I was like, okay, so the only useful thing that I walked out of there with, my kid hates it. Excellent. Wow. Okay. We're all on track now. (laughs) You know, like, it was just awful and so we i think in my head i was like okay well if i if i'm not having another baby because i we can't do this like my mental health absolutely spiraled i wasn't i wasn't diagnosed with postnatal anxiety but i can assure you that i ticked all of those boxes and so i kind of had That moment, like probably an existential crisis in that moment, like everyone was in COVID lockdown. But I just kind of thought to myself, you know what? I don't want any other mother or family to ever have to be in this situation where they say to themselves, we can't have another baby because we're so traumatized or we don't have enough support or we just don't think we can do it. I don't ever want that to happen to anyone else because it's a really shitty place to be in. And so what I decided to do was, again, this is probably what I should say in the beginning, I'm the type of person where I'm not going to whinge about it. I'm going to do something about it. And so I retrained as a postpartum doula. And so for all those playing at home, you're probably thinking, what is a postpartum doula? (laughs) (laughs) Lots of people have heard of birth doulas, but not postpartum doulas it's kind of an emerging niche group particularly here in Australia and essentially we provide in-home care to sleep deprived and overwhelmed mothers so after you have your baby we come into your house typically three hours at a time we cook nourishing food we sit on the couch and make you a cup of tea, listen to you, hold your baby while you go have a nice hot shower, do all like the things that you need as part of that village. And it's it's really funny, one of my earliest clients said to me, "Oh my god, Renee, you are like you are like the Mary Poppins for mothers." And I was like, "Yeah." Yeah, we are. Like that's, I feel like that's such a good way to describe postpartum doulas because that's what we do. We are like, we are the mothers of mothers, you know? So here we are, three big career changes. (laughs) (laughs) Like
0: I think when you talk about non-linear careers, I think who actually has a linear career? I think I'm on my fourth or fifth career changes it is anyway. So I,
1: I don't think they exist anymore, particularly for women, I think. Yeah. I think that you know you hear about a
0: lot of of women particularly after they've had kids they've even had 12 months off to reevaluate who am I what's most important how do I want to you know spend my time and I think that that's where that that's that big wake up call of mm. what's important society's let you think right you finish school you do further study you get a job that's your track yeah. and then it's when women have babies then they're forced to stop and think well Oh my goodness! What's important to me, and yes, how did I get here? And yeah, I think that's also where you see so many women now starting their own businesses because of you know that. And newsflash: starting your own business while having a young baby is is like having two kids at the same time. Absolutely. If you ever th- if you're ever thinking of it, it's it's probably just as much work. Yeah, my recommendation is be negotiate flexible work. It's much <laughs> easier path most times, but yeah, it's yeah, it's not there, but. Why don't we talk about postpartum enough? Like why is it just you, so much focus is put on the birth Mm. but not the aftermath, which
1: we've got to raise this kid for a number of years. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I I kind of, I talk to families, you know, and I, I say to them, you know, if I bought you a ticket, to New York city to run in the New York city marathon in six months time, you know, what would you, what would you say to me? And more often than not, it's like, well, I'm not a runner. I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm not prepared. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. But I'm giving you six months. So what are you going to do about it? And so it's about planning ahead. Everyone's like, Oh, wow. You know, I'm going to run in the New York city marathon and that sounds great. That's like yeah but that's one event like what's happening for the lead up how are you going to sustain energy how are you going to get through the race how are you how are you going to get build your technique who's going to support you in all of those things and so i i think people need to kind of start shifting the conversation and and there's a lot of maybe because of hollywood maybe because of society maybe because of social media we're all drummed in about you know, the birth, it's the big event. And, you know, there's a lot of trauma around that and that's getting a lot of airplay. But I think equally, you know, there is a lot of trauma in postpartum. I had a beautiful pregnancy. I had a wonderful birth. Admittedly, it was an elective cesarean because my mental health went out the goddamn window. And so, you know, I said to my OB, I'm not going to survive labor. Like, let's just all be honest here. And so I created like this really beautiful birth space, and it was everything that I wanted and needed. And hello, control freak. But the postpartum period is just not spoken about. And I think, you know, we've lost our village, particularly mm-hmm. here in the West. And I think there's a a few factors, you know, families are nuclear families now and so people are not living in a village or close in a town to one another. We're not surrounded by our mothers and aunties and cousins to observe and share stories and experiences. Um, I personally think that the pendulum has swung way, you know, to the left or right, whatever direction you want to call it, okay? But one way where women are put on this pedestal and we are given this label of superwoman, wonder woman, super you know, things like that, and we've been, I guess, conditioned to want it all, have it all, all at the same time by ourselves, and we've been rewarded for that. And that is how we have had to climb the ladder. And then you get to motherhood in your postpartum. And if you walk into motherhood with that exact same attitude, boy, oh boy, are you going to crumble? Because motherhood was not meant to be done by ourselves. It We need a village. You know, people say it takes a village to raise a child. Okay, that's great. It takes a village to raise a mother. That's mm. what it is. Because if you look after a mum, she can look after the baby by herself. That's totally fine. That's what she's that's what she's been born to do. Her physiology and biology and all the rest of it's there. But you need a village to support and raise a mother. And I really don't think that the focus is there anymore. And as I said, nuclear families and and things like that and like societal expectation. And I think it's also
0: like it's been amped up that, oh, you can do it. And I remember I had that I had that exact mentality of no, I can do it all. Oh, I don't need yeah. to ask for help. I'll be fine. And, you know, it was it was, you know, I'll, I'll get help with the birth. And I had a fantastic OB. And I was like, yeah, I'll be right. And then it wasn't until it was actually my first mother's group. We're going around the circle. And a friend of mine, who's now a really close friend, she just lost her mum six weeks before mm-hmm. her son was born, and she said one of the biggest learnings that it was her is that it's okay to ask for help. And she said that if you open the door to help, it allow and you accept it, and by that people's, if you are saying yes to people, it allows people to keep saying and to keep offering. Yes. but if you start saying no. No one's going to offer to help. No one's going to be there to support you. Mm -hmm. And when she told me, like said this in this group, I was like, oh, my God, light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's what I'm exactly doing. I remember saying to my mother-in-law, who's like been so supportive. She's like, I used to say, oh, no, no, it's all right. We don't need any food. No, it'll be fine. We can do it all and things. Mm -hmm. I don't know when my second son was born. It was actually during we had a COVID baby. And I was like, "Give me all the help you can yeah. get." And I was like, "Yep." And people saying, I'll, off- I'll give you clothes. We'll give you this." I was like, "I'll take it all. I don't yes. need to use it all." Yep. But I was like, "I'll accept it." And it was such a—I have to say—it was a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And it was like you feel guilty for accepting help, but we shouldn't be made to feel guilty for asking for help. It's—it's it's so integral in that postpartum period. Of yes, yeah. cook me a cook me a meal and. It's such a struggle because you don't. There's no guidebook. You don't know if your kid's going to sleep or not, colic or not, and yes. breastfeed. Like no one tells you as well how hard breastfeeding can be. And oh god, yeah, it's it's just a struggle. And the more that we can change that conversation
1: around, it's okay. You don't need to yeah. do it all on your own. Oh, absolutely. And I was one hundred percent guilty of of that. You know, my husband. Uh, he's very observant individual and before my daughter had even arrived he was like I think I think we you know we should engage a lactation consultant I was like why he's like I think we should get a cleaner I was like no so I think we should like form a relationship with like a nanny because I think that's important we don't have family and friends close by and I was like absolutely not and do you know what we did we did all three three. things when the shit hit the fan and I was at a loss and it was 10 times harder because I was so vulnerable and so tired and so depleted. And I was just like, please, anyone, please help me. Like, and that's just the hardest spot to be in.
0: Yeah. So from a postpartum doula perspective, like, is it better to engage you before the baby's born? And is it, Also, when just like don't get to that, you know, 11th hour of when really things that try and, you know, ask for help earlier on.
1: Mm. I'm always an advocate of prevention is better than treatment. Having said that, though, we absolutely have probably 40% of our clients what I like to call DEFCON 4 situations <laughs> where it's, I mean, it's typically a family member, whether it be, you know, the partner or mum-in-law or, you know, sister call us and go, you know, she's not in a good way and we need someone there, start and we need, like, we just need help. We, we're we so sleep deprived we don't even know what to do. So that is always always, always an opportunity for us to step in quite quickly. And we've got the luxury of being able to do that because Fill Your Cup is, you know, $15 strong as a doula village. But, you know, I I highly encourage people to engage a doula as early as possible because I can't speak for other doulas, but at Fill Your Cup, as soon as you sign on and you're part of the village, you are part of the village. I'm not joking. Your care starts straight away. You know, we've got a WhatsApp group with myself, the mom, partner, and the doula. And there's always conversing. There's never silly questions. It's like, how are you feeling? How are you going? What do you want to talk about this week? And, you know, have you got any questions around X, Y, Z? Or they're just having like a really rough week, which is, you know, part and parcel of pregnancy and we talk to them. So we're kind of, we are postpartum doulas, but if you catch us and get in early, we're pregnancy doulas as well. I've worked with mums with, you know, during conception. So rounds of IVF and things like that. Sometimes it's really nice to just have that external support network where you know, there's not going to be any judgment you know it's going to be an impartial view and it's just going to be someone who is there for you there's no strings attached there's no guilt there's no burden so yeah prevention is better than treatment i i always think
0: yeah so from a for a postpartum doula what exactly do they do you said that they come into the house what exactly is mary poppins doing for us yeah
1: <laughs> so At Fill Your Cup, I guess our mamas would expect to receive what we call our mama menu about five to seven days in advance. They get to choose a main meal and a snack. That menu has been curated by myself as a biochemist. I completely understand how to, I guess, replete mums in the thick of it, you know, building up meals around high iron, rich in like good omega-3 fats, choline, vitamin C. So they get to choose from a menu and then their doula then goes and sources all those ingredients fresh and then they come to your house and please, my goodness, do not clean the house before we get there. (laughs) Do not clean the house. If you are in anything other than pajamas, I will probably send yeah. <laughs> you back to get into your pajamas. And so then it's a three-hour session. Every session is different every week for every different family because it's about, you know, what's going on for you during That week? Are you struggling with feeding? Are you struggling with sleep? Can you not switch your mind off? How are we going to kind of support you during that week? And it could be as easy as, you know, we walk in, mum's falling to pieces and we just hold the baby until they drift off to sleep, send mum back into the bedroom. She goes and has a nap for two hours and then we crack on and start making the meals that she's chosen from the menu so she's got like a really beautiful nourishing warm hot lunch that she can eat with two hands because I don't know about you Karina but I didn't eat with two hands for like for probably a year (laughs) yes I was gonna say 18 months but for quite a while no one ever tells you that like the fact that You turn into a child again because you need your partner to cut your food for you at the table.
0: (laughs) But even my five-year-old last night, he decided that he wanted to eat dinner sitting on my lap because he was just tired and had one of those days. And so I was like,
1: okay, yeah, right, not a problem. Just what we're doing. Mums are really good at adaptation, I think, which is good. But, you know, for example, like as I said, if you need support with feeding The other thing is as doulas, we are doulas, right? We stick within our scope. If you need a lactation consultant or a pelvic floor physiotherapist or you need someone for massage or something like that, we organize and coordinate those appointments. So we've got a amazing database of allied healthcare professionals that we trust and that we have worked with. It's not like anyone can Google, right? Mm. But we've got kind of a very curated list of people that we work with. And we just organize those appointments for you. It's about taking the mental load off you wherever we possibly can. And so typically they, these programs kind of run for six to 10 weeks, weekly visits or, you know, some families, particularly first-time families will say, oh, we'll have two sessions in the first week while we kind of ground ourselves and get a bit more confidence. And then it's weekly visits thereafter. But it's about supporting mum so she can then do everything she needs to do, which is, feed, love, bond with her baby and get rest. It's such an important like,
0: skill and service to provide because it's you don't realise what you need when you have a child as yeah. what we've spoken about. But the more that you can actually feel relaxed, that has such a significant impact on your child because our kids naturally... They've got this sixth sense. They know when you're stressed or it's busy and they will pick up on those emotions. Mm-hmm. And it also comes out if you're breastfeeding, it'll come out in your breast milk. You yeah. know, if you're being able to, if you're stressed about breastfeeding, I was. I struggled for like the first six to eight weeks with both of my kids. Mm-hmm. I had small babies. And so it was always a struggle at the start. And, but then I think they also, and then your milk supply. And then what, as soon as you start to relax, Things also start to get a bit easier as well. So if you know that part of like dinners and all that just household stuff, because usually by that stage as well, your partner unfortunately has gone back to work, Mm -hmm. usually full time. And so you're there during the day going, what the heck am I doing?
1: Yeah, You're all alone
0: because you've got no village around you. So having that support Mm -hmm. is so integral.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you that you said that Karina because I recently did a kind of like follow-up survey with a with a bunch of our clients and a lot of them said you know we engage you primarily because we loved the practicalities around the fact that we would have beautiful nourishing food in the house and that you were going to tidy up and throw some washing on and hold bubby while I went and had a long hot shower by myself like they tick 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 they loved that but a lot of them said the number one thing that they underestimated about having a doula there each week was the continuity of care and what that did for their mental health. Mm. And so, because they knew, okay, I'm having a really shit week, but I'm just, I just need to hold out till Wednesday. Wednesday, you know, Renee's coming or Amanda or Georgie or whoever it was. And so they knew that that was coming and that they were going to be able to have an opportunity to debrief with someone who is professionally trained to do that and to not feel lonely in the house. Like, I don't know about you, but I I underestimated that. You know the fact that there was another human being in the house but i had never felt more lonely than i did when i was in those early postpartum days you know when your partner goes back to work it's oh, scary right it's
0: scary and it's isolating and i particularly remember my first i discovered mums and bubs at the movies oh. and so regardless of a good movie, bad movie. I still tried to go because it got me out of a house, and it was a commitment. Like, right Tuesday, ten o'clock. I know that I'd be able to go to the movies, and it was like, you know, your baby's still relatively small, so you can still like watch the movie, yeah. breastfeed because it's like a health, like it's a you know, it's a safe zone. Yeah, and it's so a couple of times like in the months and years after it, my husband like, have you seen this? I'm like, yeah, I saw this at Mums and Bubs, oh. and he's been really jealous. And so there was like once or twice he actually came along because he was jealous that I kept going to the movies without him because it's something that he loves to do. And, well, I think it was like one, one time was Mission Impossible or something, and it was great. It just got me, it was my, as what you said, a commitment to get me out of the house yeah. and actually having a bit of like, even I, but the first one I'm like, I'm just here I'm pretty much there's like two other women in the movie theatre But I was like, I don't care if I'm here on my own. I'm physically out of the house. I've actually put on normal clothes. Yes. And then my mum started coming as well. So it was also a good way. She'd sometimes just sit there holding my son and she enjoyed that. But it was just those things of not feeling so alone. And then once Mm -hmm. I got into a mother's group, it it certainly helped. But until, because sometimes mother's groups don't start for a couple of months in. So you're feeling. Or you don't click with them. You don't click with them and things like that. So my first mother's group fell apart fell because there's only like four people that came then the second one was 15 people and now there's four of us. And like still to this day, those those three other women have been my rock for the last five years. I think I would have been mentally just crazy if it wasn't for them keeping me grounded. So they've been my duelers in a sense because also have going from one to two kids is also just a shock that no one ever Mm. tells you about. And yeah, it's it's such a change. But it's so good that doors can can actually fill that void as well yeah
1: yeah I I think it's interesting you talk about the movie thing I loved going to the movies pre pre pre-baby and someone said to me you know oh you could never take your baby to the movies because I was like oh yeah mums and barbs and this I think this is one of the things that I I would really love to highlight particularly in this postpartum period because there's a lot of plasticity in your brain as a mother that starts as soon as um, you conceive your, your child. Your brain starts to remodel and there's just, I guess, a lot of openings and new kind of knowledge being built. You know, we um, level up in areas like empathy, emotional intelligence, facial recognition, temperature, with like a very sensory kind of on, on, on. And so that's why misinformation is so easy for mums to kind of take on because if you think about us yes, in everyday life, we're almost got like a bullshit radar and we're like, yeah, okay, that's just crazy. That's not true. But when we're going through this what's called matrescence and we've got this brain remodeling, we take on a lot more information and we don't have as finer filter, if you want to Mm. think about it like that. So I remember this particular person saying to me, you can't go to the movies. It will destroy your baby's hearing and they shouldn't be seeing big, you know, pictures like that, like that whole, like, you know, don't put your kid in front of a screen thing. And it terrified me, Karina. At the time I was like, is there logic to that? Like, is that real? But because she put the wind up me, I never went. <gasps> oh, and no. I would have, I would have loved because I'm such a movie buff. But I was like, nope. And there was people in my mother's group who were going, and I was like, nope, nope, I can't do it because some because someone has told me all of this stuff, which is, I think you know, when you've got a postpartum doula, that would have been a really prime time me to have said to a postpartum door which i did not have <laughs> you know but it would have been a really nice opportunity for me to be like oh my god do you mean, do you know what wendy down the road told me and they would have been like what and i would have told them and they would be like do you really think that that's true though renee yeah you know like
0: said but- the mute they would have said then it's a, not as loud as a normal movie that lights like, are slightly uh, you know they're a little bit different yeah. to a normal surroundings you'll be fine
1: Exactly. And the I baby's guess, not you
0: know, watching the screen anyway because you think they're still <laughs> He's
1: watching your boob. Like, don't worry about
0: it. No. My son was either asleep or he was feeding, and it was brilliant. And that's why I went when I did, when he was so young. And that's why I was devastated with my second. I think I went once or twice, and then because of COVID, we couldn't go. So I was like, damn, it was one thing I was looking forward to. <laughs>
1: movie <your> time, movie <laughs> time.
0: Oh, so how can we? So we've talked about like what postpartum is and that, but how can we? prepare for it? Like what are there any steps or any things that we can go through? And so if you're listening to this and you're about to go on maternity leave, mm. how can we, you know, you've you're gonna have the birth, we all prepare for that. But yeah, what about that postpartum phase? What are some things
1: that we can put into place? Yeah, absolutely. So we do a postpartum planning session with all of our clients if they're in pregnancy. Obviously, the DEF CON 4 situation is a little bit different, but we kind of have seven elements that we talk to people about during this game planning session. And it's not about, do you have enough onesies and have you got the quote-unquote right nappies? I couldn't care less about that stuff. That's not what a postpartum doula is there to talk to you about. If you want to check in about the onesies and the nappies, go for it. Like we're totally there to do that as well. But in terms of planning, the first step that we always talk about is visitors and boundaries, because more often than not, you know, you need to get on the same page as your partner. You need to start thinking about you know, who's going to be at the hospital on the day of the birth Mm. versus three days after versus three weeks. Are you going to have visitors home? Are you going to announce the birth? Are you going to hold off for a week so you guys can like chill out and like nest and bond together at home? Like you guys need to get on the same page about visitors. The other thing that I say is that the partner needs to be the gatekeeper because mum should not be like a liaising and, you know, pulling together like her Calendly app on, you know, who's coming, who's going and by goodness, no one should be entertaining the visitors. Like the visitors are to BYO and DIY everything. And I always have this like running joke that if visitors want to have a cuddle with the baby, they need to earn it. And I I need to ask for it as
0: well. It can't be given.
1: Oh, God, yeah. But like if you don't come with a meal, like for anyone listening and you know someone who's pregnant who's about to have a baby, do not go to their house unless you are coming with a meal or you plan to do some sort of domestic duty, i.e. dishwasher, vacuuming, laundry, or... You are going to hold that baby while those parents either nap or shower or do some self-care. Like you need to do make one yourself of those. useful. And yes. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise you're out. <laughs> you're out the door. <laughs> the second thing that we talk about is rest, because, you know, more often than not, and probably your audience as well, working mums career orientated. Go, 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 go. And then you're like, oh my God, I gotta switch my brain off. You know, how do I do that? That was me on my
0: first day of Matlene.
1: What do I do now? Yes. I don't have a meeting at 9am Monday morning. I know. I remember texting a friend going, I'm bored already. And I think it had been like three hours. And she was like, oh my God, Renee. And she'd already had two kids. She was like, read a book, go to the park, sit by yourself, go to the movies. And I was like, I don't think I can do that because my brain is like spiraling. And she was like, mate, yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to have to like pick something from there. But so in terms of rest, if you're one of those like highly strong people, like I am, think about how you're going to navigate that. I have started doing Yoga Nidra and I always recommend it's the only app. Oh no, there's two apps that I always recommend. One is the Insight Timer app because it's free and you can like, download 20,000 different like meditation things. So there's really beautiful yoga nidra on there. It's just someone talking to you like really sweetly about how you should relax. (laughs) That's really good for highly strung people like myself. So that's visitors and rest. The third element is food, which is like totally my jam. I'm a complete crazy person when it comes to food and nutrition. And the number one tip I give here is Fill your freezer like a doomsdayer. <laughs> no joke. Like if someone said to you, you are not going to be able to leave the house, order groceries, anything for two weeks, what does that look like? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Snacks, 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 snacks particularly if you're breastfeeding. And if you can't fill your freezer organize a meal train which is you know people dropping off meals on specific days and things like that again leaning in asking for help I know it's hard but just do it it's worth it Just do it people you know People actually really do want to help you. Like, I don't know about you, Karina, but when someone asks me for help and I get to help, I get like a little boost of oxytocin. I'm oh my like,
0: you yeah. A friend of mine was sick a little while ago and
1: we were and we were like, right, how do
0: we help her? Okay, a friend of mine was going to the shops, buying stuff was just before Easter. She got the kids some stuff, hot grass buns, cheesy mite scrolls. She delivered it. My friend that received it literally started crying. She's like, oh my God, like she just forgets that there's people wanting to help her. And we all felt amazing because we could help one of our really good
1: friends. Yeah, it's a feel good thing. So everyone's winning. My fourth tip is think about your inner circle. And when I talk about inner circle, I I get families to write down the name and the number of of people in answer to these questions. Who can you call? For non judgmental support and advice? Who are you going to call to take your baby for a walk while you nap or shower? And if you don't have a door there, who are you going to call f- to make you a nutritious meal? Who are you going to call if you want to literally just sit, watch Netflix, shitty TV, eat like a packet of Tim Tams and you know, just copious amounts of like chai lattes or whatever it is. Who are those people? Because I can assure you that there will come a day where you're going to need to lean on one or more of those people. And I think that's a really good one to have, particularly for partners who are going to work thinking, Oh, man, I really don't want to be going to work today because she is not in a good way and we've had a really rough night with Bubby and they feel guilty and, you know, mum's probably feeling resentful. I've I've felt a lot of resent with my oh, husband yeah. going I to work the, every the day. The two worst years of my marriage and my relationship with my husband have been yes. when I've been on mat leave. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so, but if you have that inner circle written down and like on the fridge right there, it's a classic, like, I'm just like partner. Don't like, don't ask and go, oh, did you want, do you want me to call so-and-so? Don't ask. She doesn't need to load. Just do it. And it's a pleasant surprise. And then we talk about community village. So that's your inner circle, then community village. So Write down the name, and number of like lactation consultant, pelvic floor physio, cleaner, massage therapist, psychologist, my goodness. Everyone needs a bit of a debrief. Even if you have had a non-traumatic birth, everyone needs that. And the last two are oxytocin boosters, we call them. So it's getting people to think about what is it that brings you peace and joy? So for example, for myself, I loved driving the car, windows down, music pumping. Like I'm a very, I love music. That's my kind of emotional kind of channeling type of thing. And that is something I really missed because when I got in the car, there was a baby. I don't, You know, see myself turning up the volume very loud when the baby's in the car. So it's about thinking about activities around self care, because we know from the research that mothers who take 30 minutes per week for self care are three times less likely to develop postnatal depression. And relative kind of symptoms. So it's really important, again, prevention rather than treatment. And I know some people are like, oh my God, you know, self-care, that's going to take me ages and I can barely shower in the day and all that kind of stuff. That's totally fine. I hear you. So we get our mums to write down something that will take one minute, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And no matter what you've got during the day, you need to practice one of those four. Hmm. like what the 1 minute one could just be you know you're sitting in your feeding chair and you just close your eyes and you just take a couple of deep breaths ground your feet and just have a moment to yourself you know it can just be as simple as that um and then the last the 7th point <laughs> which i am on a massive bandwagon kind of thing at the moment Is what we call divide and conquer. And it's all about understanding how the household is going to change when the baby arrives in terms of chores. You know, who's going to feed the dog? Who's going to take the dog for a walk? Who is going to, you know, water the plants? What's happening with your toddler? Who's doing the shopping? be it groceries, who's organising birthday presents? What does that look like? And I got onto an amazing book called Fair Play by Eve Mm, Rodsky. Great book, yeah. Just like (laughs) she's a force to be reckoned with. And it's great. It's it's about, you know, not having equal work but, you know, fair work and that balancing act of, of what that looks like. And I think these are all, you know, those seven points are all conversation starters for Mm. people to get on the same page and work through what, what does this actually look like? Because I hear about people who are like, Oh, our life's not going to change when we have a baby. We're just going to do business as usual. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) <laughs> oh it always it always cracks me up oh it will be fine we'll just keep going we'll yeah just keep keep going going out, we'll just know. keep doing
0: it. I'm like the mm-hmm. baby will fit
1: in with our life yeah yeah sure okay. yeah okay yeah I'll see you in six months in therapy start yeah. saving <laughs> <laughs> oh it's one
0: of those things and I think also particularly on that seventh point around the mental load that's such a good conversation to have before you're having kids because It changes. And then it's also about once you've had a child, assessing it. And then, even then, when you go back to work.
1: Yes. Because as
0: statistics show, women will take on more of the mental load when she's on maternity leave because she's at home. Yep. She may have some time that she, and also she may elect to do that. Mm -hmm. But when she returns back into work, usually she's got her work commitments, she's taken on more of the mental load, also the caring responsibilities. So she's pretty much doing double than what she was potentially 12, 18 months ago. Yep. And then she gets back to work going, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do all this? The balls are just, you know, the the squishy balls and also the glass balls are all dropping and it's yep. just not a good look. So having those conversations, particularly at those key milestone points, are so integral. And if it's just calling it out, yes, they can be hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Your husband or partner may go, "Nah, I don't necessarily agree with it. Well, it's like, mate, you've taken two to tango.
1: Yeah. Uh, regardless, buckle of, up.
0: <laughs> buckle up, and regardless of how much you earn, you uh, you know you still got re- responsibilities. Yes. yes. And and not everything falls on. I remember saying to my husband very clearly, I am not doing all the drop off and pickups at childcare. Ironically, now he actually does a lot more than what I do, which is ironic. But just because of location of our offices, yeah. But he also at the same time loves doing it. So yeah. I'm I'm fine with it. But we had the conversation at the start to say,
1: no, I'm, but not I'm doing sure it. But I'm sure you you do more of some other tasks. Oh, though. like, and, and I think. But I think it all that's... evens it out. Like yeah, he does exactly. all the washing. He
0: hates me doing the washing because he doesn't like how I use too much softener. And I'm like. Oh, <laughs> all right, mate. you want to do it, that's yeah, fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. But My then husband... I do all the
0: grocery shopping and meal planning. So that's well, how we even it out.
1: Exactly. And I think that's you know when i first came to my husband with the book and i like you know pushed it across the the kitchen bench and i said i think we're going to do this and he said what is that <laughs> and i said i think we need to reevaluate how our household functions because i was that person who took on all of the mental load and the and the caregiving and then you know went back to work as an attorney and i was like Hold on, I've got two jobs and I'm only getting paid for one. Like, what's this all about? And wondered why I was so, as I said, resentful, depleted, anxious, overwhelmed, you know. And it's not to say he didn't do anything, but, you know, the scales were definitely tipped in one direction. Mm,
0: yeah. It's, but yeah, definitely having those conversations. And, and it's just, I think, Probably pretty much throughout your your points. It's about communication, not only yes. with yourself, the stories that you're telling yourself, the communication you're having with your partner, with your village, but also because I know as mums at times, I don't know about you, but I internalise a lot in the way oh, that right I think here. of something. I'll tell all these stories and then as soon as I start verbalising it, my husband's like, that is crazy. What? That's nuts. Like, yeah. You don't need to think that way. Yes. Or- or something like that's not to you articulate. You're like, oh yeah, that is a bit nuts and a bit crazy. And and that and I even I've said to my husband more recently, oh, my mindset's actually my biggest downfall at times. And he goes, yes, it is. And but it's one of those things. It's communication, and the more that we can communicate and not be scared about communicating about mm. if we're having a crappy day, just own it. I remember my husband a couple of times with my first son going, he'd walk in. I remember one time the lights were all black. It was like that. (laughs) And he's like, what's going on here? here?
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting because when, so typically the clients who we take on, they kind of fall, I would say into a, a few different categories One are those who, as I said, you know, nuclear families, they don't have families close by, whether it be interstate or international. The other ones are people with a small business or their partner's got a small business. But the third one are those who have pre-existing mental health issues. And so they have already identified, whether it be through their own kind of healthcare team, that they're going to need additional help and they're you know, going to have, need that person to come in. And so what we then do is implement a strategy very similar to what you were talking about where we can walk into the house at the start of the session and we use like a bit of a scale and I'll say, Karina, what are you out of 10 today? And it's not because sometimes it's too much for them to do the full debrief with you in that moment But if they say to me, I'm an eight out of 10 today, as in not good, then we cater around that and we work with them with that kind of diagnosis. And the other thing about, you know, calling on your village is if they want us to tap into, you know, having communication with their counselor or psychologist or whoever it is, then we all work together to support that mum. Because we all kind of need to know what page and what situation we're walking into. So I think that that's another really useful thing to have as as a doula who can yeah. communicate with your village as well. and also
0: advocating for how you are and and yeah. what your needs are and and yes. recognizing those needs because as new mums, you think, oh, like I'm just having an off day, but an off day for multiple, like consistently for multiple weeks. Is, yeah. is probably a bit of a sign. So yeah. um, it's good that the doulas are there around that. I know we could talk all day on this, <laughs> but is there anything just finally that you'd like to just add about postpartum planning and, and doulas and just any other hints and tips that we may not have already covered?
1: Good question. I think if anyone's interested in having a postpartum doula, I think one of the biggest hurdles here in Australia is the fact that it's not a regulated industry. And I think that that confuses some people, you know, they probably go in and think, oh my goodness, you know, where do we start and how do we know a good doula from quote unquote, a bad doula or whatever that looks like. And I think you know, with my science and law background, I identified that pretty quickly. And it was such an uncharted territory for me because I was looking for, you know, the rules and legislation yeah. <laughs> and codes of conduct and things like that. And so that's what I'm trying to change with Fill Your Cup. So it started with just two of us. And now we've grown to 15 across three states, Tasmania, Victoria, and New South Wales. And what I'm trying to develop is essentially the McDonald's of mother care, because I want everyone to understand that if you come to fill your cup, it is a very high bar in terms of training, professionalism, the work that we do internally as doulas I think is second to none, uh, we provide amazing um, resources and training to our doulas. They get extra training around you know, postpartum nutrition and mental health awareness um, around sleep and feeding and sensory nourishment for infants because that is a really big topic that always brings anxiety and overwhelm to families, feeding and sleep two of the biggest topics that we always get asked, you know, is is this normal? Is that normal? Oh my goodness, this is happening today. I don't know what to do with X, Y, Z. And so all of our doulas are trained in that. And so that's what we're doing here at Fill Your Cup to kind of build awareness and a trusted brand. So people can come to us and go, okay, I know that, you know, that level of Professionalism and and expertise are there. But I think if you don't have access to a doula or, you know, you don't have the finances for a doula, there was a study a few years back and they surveyed a number of mothers and they showed that there was four key elements to a mum thriving in that first six to 12 months after she had her baby. And those four elements were information. So getting realistic and reliable information. It was around getting practical and emotional support, you know, someone bringing meals or helping with tidying up around the house and things like that. Um, It was getting psychological support. So that was even in a situation where you hadn't had a traumatic birth and and there wasn't much trauma or overwhelm in your postpartum but psychological support was really fundamental but one of the key things was sharing of experiences and it was around normalizing motherhood mm. because i think as soon as we start to share our experiences and understand as mothers, that these particular scenarios that are happening to us are happening to a lot of other mothers, I feel like the judgment, the guilt, the overwhelm, the anxiety, it starts to dissipate. And so I would highly encourage the listeners or those supporting people who are pregnant Start thinking about those four key elements, information, practical and emotional support, psychological support, and sharing of experiences, and see how you can implement those and start building your village around you to, you know, hold like hold up those pillars because they are the key elements that you're going to need. Wow, what
0: an amazing way to, to finish <laughs> and, and such important information. So no, thank you so much for that. Renee, and and what you're doing to support women in this such important phase and also raise awareness with it, which I know you're doing a lot around.
1: So how yeah. do we get in touch with you with Fill Your Cup? So we are typically on Instagram, which is at fillyourcup underscore. Otherwise, you can jump on to our website, ifillyourcup.com. And we have actually just recently released what we call the quickie guide. (laughs) I kept getting a lot of people asking, you know, oh, there's podcasts and there's books. And, you know, my mother-in-law's told me to listen to that or read this, but I just, I just don't know where to start. And so I was like, okay, again, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to whinge about it. So we've put together, essentially, it's like a springboard of information around all those elements that I've spoken about, you know, nutrition, oxytocin, chores, relationships, how to transition your toddler, your fur babies even. Mm -hmm. So that's a free download on our website. If you just jump on our website, it's up the top in the banner, our quickie guide. We'll provide a link into the show notes so you can- Yes. Yes, if you wanted to download it. Thank you. It's our- what I like to call our go-to guide for you know your best fourth trimester because you deserve it you absolutely deserve to thrive and have a really positive experience so there's that and then we also have a couple of beautiful nourishing products which you can't see but you will be able to (laughs) here but we've got our Chop goji lactation cookie mix our creamy coconut dal mix which is first in market to have organic bone broth in it so those two um, meal kits can be whipped up in like 20 minutes flat and then once you've got a really full beautiful tummy you can take a soak in our um, postpartum recovery sits which like oh my god i'm totally addicted to (laughs) (laughs) And I still have the lactation cookies in my fridge all the time. And I'm six years postpartum. I'm obsessed. They're like, it's like if you like cherry ripe, because they've got dark chocolate and the goji berries in it. And it's just like, so my jam. So oh, yum. Yep. Yes. Very, very good. Very good.
0: <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much for today's chat, Renee. Like you're a wealth of knowledge and You can tell your passion and enthusiasm based off your own experiences to support women in the postpartum period and and certainly keep smashing those goals and, yeah, keep doing what you're doing in the advocacy as well because it's making such a difference. And I know certainly I didn't know a lot about postpartum doulas before I met you, but I think it's I definitely needed it, um, particularly with my second. But, yeah, thank you so much and really appreciate it. So, yeah, check out Fill Your Cup. And if you're listening to this and you're soon to have a bub, check them out. And if you've just had a bub, congratulations. Check out Renee as well. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karina. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast catch-up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle, and I would really appreciate if you were to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.